Hello, this is AJ Bingham, CEO of the Bingham Group, and we have returning guest Howard Franklin on, our esteemed colleague from e the, I would say the ATL, Atlanta. How you doing, man? Hey, I'm, I'm doing great. How are you? I can't complain. You know, we're recording this on Wednesday, January 6th, the day after two key runoffs um, for the U.S. Senate in the state of Georgia. Uh, you know, Democratic winners with uh, Senator-elect now Ossoff and Senator-elect uh, Warnock. Correct. Yeah, very tight. Same kind of trend as you saw with D.C. in the presidential election. And one, that's what your thoughts are. You know, right now we're recording. It's uh, 6 p.m. your time, Eastern, Eastern time. What, what's the, the sentiment in Georgia? And I'll couch this with this, right? It's a mix of things. Because we saw earlier that Ossoff, his, that was, that, uh, race was declared uh, a little later this afternoon, and uh, Senator-elect Warnock's race was declared early this morning. Now, in between all that, and this is relevant, it ties in, um, you know, the Electoral College was set to, uh, I'm sorry, a joint session of Congress was called to certify Electoral College votes. And uh, as it's playing out, I'm sure it's still playing out right now, uh, chaos ensued. So it has to be a mix of jubilation on one hand, I would imagine for folks on the Democratic side of the fence, both in the state of Georgia and Atlanta and D.C. and in D.C., but with all the things going on now, too, what, just, what, are, what are you feeling? You know, how are you feeling about all this? I know, you're, you know you're, you have colleagues. You're doing a lot of work in the Democratic Party and the, the state party. And just how do you feel, man? Yeah, I mean, it, you know, not any uh, state secret about how Democrats are feeling. I mean, we're elated not only because, um, you know, as we see it, Georgia is saving the Republic and delivering to President-elect Biden um, by the smallest of margins, a Democratic Senate, but we're also punching our ticket into uh, official battleground status as a state. It's something that uh, Democrats in particular, and I, and I guess in fairness, Republicans, you know, 10, 12 years ago were also, um, you know, fighting to make sure that the outside world saw us as a place where uh, national politicians and our local politicians would have to really compete uh, for the support of Georgians. So I think there's something for everybody to celebrate. It's something that's been on the lips of uh, Georgia Republicans for quite a while. I think our governor, uh, members of the Senate, in fact, the two uh, outgoing senators, both uh, Kelly Leffler and even before that, uh, David Perdue, who served for six years, have acknowledged in public and private forums that Georgia is a burgeoning battleground state. And I think after delivering 16 electoral college votes to uh, Joe Biden on November the 3rd, and then on January 5th, sending two Democrats to the United States Senate, uh, you know, there's no more arguing it. Georgia is a battleground state. You know, that's great for folks like me who do still dabble in the political world professionally, but it's also uh, great for policy and for policymakers who want to find some degree of moderation and want to and want to see some degree of bipartisanship uh, as laws are getting made at the federal and state level. So, um, you know, Democrats are obviously elated and overjoyed. I think the next um, priority, if you were to give us a list to tick off, um, is finding some degree of parity in the Georgia General Assembly. Uh, the the state Senate um, has. A pretty strong majority for the um, majority for the majority party. I think they've got 29 seats um, or 30 seats in the 
in the General Assembly out of 56. So they've got enough to, you know, pass pretty much whatever they want without Democratic support. And then on the House side, we've got 180 seats in total. And I think we only picked up two in 2020. So we went from, um, I think we went from 75, 75 to 77. So 91 or 90 each would be parity out of that 180. So we are still very far behind uh, in terms of parity, in terms of state lawmaking, but obviously, you know, feeling a lot of pride about these two Senate races. Mm -hmm. And I know we talked about this in your last, in the last time we were in the show, episode 117, but what are you seeing within the party, particularly, or at least um, amongst the geo state GOP? And we've seen, for those of outside the, the state and then the city, we've seen this play out at the high level, as the, the most recent one was on Sunday with the, the Washington Post released the tape, conversation between your Secretary of State and, Secretary of State and, and, uh, and, President. and President, President Trump. And obviously, you know, what's being portrayed, you know, you probably read the Hill, Politico, everyone's saying it's, this is just, a, it's a, you know, it's, it's a, it's, it's one, a protracted, it's one battle of many amongst really an internal civil war in the GOP. And what do you, I mean, so what have you seen? I mean, we're seeing what's playing out in DC, obviously. Within the Georgia legislature, what are you seeing among the GOP there? Are you seeing folks, I'll put it this way, right? When you look at folks, uh, certain senators and representatives from Texas, for example, you know, it's really a battle, it seems, for or a battle, a fight for uh, who's going to inherit, inherit all of uh, Trump's supporters, the base, the, the donors, and everything else, right? Yeah, I, I think that's part of it. I mean, I think it's two things happening at once. I mean, you, you, you know, gave a nod to the Civil War, and I think it's been brewing for quite a long time. Uh, even before Governor Kemp decided to pick Kelly Leffler uh, to to fill the unexpired term of of outgoing Senator uh, Johnny Isaacson, we've had some dust ups, fairly public ones, between the Speaker, the Lieutenant Governor, and the Governor, uh, and other legislative leaders as well on other issues uh, that have you know of, of serious import at the General Assembly. And then we move forward to this momentous opportunity and occasion to choose a United States Senator and the president wanted uh, and, and said as much uh, both publicly and privately and via Twitter that he wanted Congressman Doug Collins to be the pick. The governor went in a different direction. Uh, you know, they had a very public spat, you know, that went the way that it went. They ran against each other in the primary, Leffler prevailed, um, but was weakened by, by the contest. And then, you know, beyond that, just keeping the focus on the president after the after President-elect Biden scored a victory in our state, uh, our president, you know, <laughs> pressured, cajoled, berated uh, several members of the GOP for not being sufficiently loyal and bending the rules to deliver him our 16 electoral votes. The funny thing, uh, AJ, that I always, you know, remember when reports like these come out, like the one of the telephone call for an hour, which I listened to last week, is that even if he were successful, even if Secretary Raffensperger said, sure, President Trump, I'm gonna give you these 16 electoral college votes, the president, President Trump would still have lost the election um, by you know, a margin that would not return him to power. And so what is, has gone unsaid, what has to be happening is that Michigan, Pennsylvania, Arizona also have to be under the same sort of assault, uh, just with a little bit less attention, I have to imagine, just based on what's happening here. So there's that on the one hand that I think is a big part of 
what's happening. I think the other thing worth noting is that 2022, uh, our entire General Assembly is up for re-election. That's 236 members across the Senate and the House. And then you've also got all of our constitutional offices up as well. So, you know, you, we can talk about inheriting uh, the Trump base or the fundraising, you know, apparatus, should you, you know, call it that, or, um, or even his support, should he decide to throw his support behind uh, one of the members who, or one of the candidates, or all the candidates who run for re-election on the Republican side. But you've got eight constitutional members up from governor down to ag commissioner. Um, and a lot of those folks, both in the legislature and holding those posts today, are looking and, and saying, well, if, uh, you know, if the cousin of the former governor and a, United, a duly elected United States senator can lose, and if a multimillionaire, like, you know, just about a billionaire, and Kelly Leffler can lose, and if President Trump, who comfortably won the state four years ago by five points, can lose, then maybe the lieutenant governor can lose, or maybe the governor can lose. So I think they're, they're really trying to figure out how to come to terms with a message that'll bring uh, suburban women or more Latinx voters or other uh, demographics they think they can talk to back underneath the GOP tent. Mm-hmm. Uh, on that note, too, with the, gov- the governorship. So uh, I think, again, no secret, a lot of people are talking about it, about uh, Stacey Abrams making another run at the seat. She came very close in the la- in her last go-around. Um, you know, obviously, she's put a lot of work with her organization over the last several years to deliver her and other Black organizers to deliver the state, the, the Democrat Party, both in the general end and these runs to very tight runoffs, but wins nonetheless. What do you expect, I mean, with the Bunker organization, how that's going to play on the national level, not only for, um, not only for how it impacts, you know, D.C. and everything else, but where that organization maybe turns its lens and helping other states turn purple, such as Texas. Because the DNC, yeah. I'll, put back, I'll put it this way, right? The DNC, you know, and I'm based in Austin, we hear, I hear this every cycle, you know, especially this last one, because folks were saying, because, because all the people coming from California, we're trying to, you know, we're going to make it more, more cleaning and so on. And like our, you know, our, our, our urban areas are definitely becoming, are getting bluer, right? Especially the suburban, uh, the outer rings, the metros, right? You know, a lot of folks are more, you know, used to be rural is getting more, more, more diverse, you know, and more, and more democratic leaning. And we hear every time, I mean, since I've been involved in it, right, you know, it's going to go blue, it's in play. And, you know, the DNC may invest here and they else X, Y, and Z, but yeah, what I saw, at least what I've observed uh, with in Georgia with Abrams Group, I mean, that was a homegrown grassroots, not grassroots, a homegrown uh, organization, right? It wasn't, I mean, they're party affiliated, but it wasn't the state, the state Democrat Party, right? Well, yeah, so I should, you know, that's a, that's a great question. You know, I, I appreciate um, what Texas Democrats are going through. I mean, I, you know, for the last eight or 10 years, we have been talking about winning big races, finally going blue, and this year it finally happened. But um, and in two years, it'll be another fight. And I, so I'm familiar with the national pundits, uh, you know, prognosticating about what direction um, the state's going to go in every two years for the almost the past decade. Um, that said, I would say the the victory that Democrats in the state have and still are enjoying amidst all the chaos of the Capitol. Um, right now really is an amalgamation of a bunch of things. I think Stacey Abrams deserves a tremendous amount of credit. Uh, She believed in us before uh, many other people did. She campaigned for the national funders, donor base, politicians, pundit class to take us seriously. 
Um, and then obviously she, uh, you know, scored at least the highest uh, rated Democratic performance when she fell just a little bit short in 2018. So she deserves a tremendous amount of credit. But I would also say, you know, part of her success was inviting national groups to campaign with us. So, you know, just this cycle, uh, the campaign arm of our of our firm did work for the Democratic Senatorial Campaign Committee, the Democratic National Committee, Vote.org. We worked for the Oprah Winfrey Network. I mean, we, we there are a number of national groups that, um, at the urging of Stacey Abrams and folks like her, made investments in the state. And then obviously we have a tremendous grassroots effort, a lot of volunteers, a lot of paid canvas, you know, really just everything kind of clicking on all cylinders. And the thing I would you know, as, a, as an operative, the thing that I like to point out is it, it's not that we didn't always have the interest or the manpower and woman power uh, to turn the state blue. It's that there's some muscle memory that goes along with being a perennially contested state. So, you know, there's an investment and an influx of talent and attention that goes to a Florida or a Colorado or you know, maybe at least used to be an Ohio. There's an influx of money every two to four years that goes into a Michigan, uh, Pennsylvania, because they're battlegrounds. And I think the big victory for us as, a, as, you know, climbing into that rarefied air is that no one's going to take us for granted now. So that means when there's a presidential primary, Republicans and Democrats alike will have to come here, spend money on TV, build an operation, compete for the Electoral College vote. And then when there's a general election, the same thing will have to happen. And if you have that for a couple of cycles, you start to build a real ecosystem. And that's what we haven't had over the last 10 years or so, as people have just assumed that the state was reliably red, if that's a acceptable answer to your question. Very acceptable. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. And then lastly, I mean, just so come back, come back to what I asked you exactly at the beginning, just locally, right? So you're, you're based in Metro, you're in the Atlanta Metro. Um, obviously with COVID restrictions and everything else going on, just what are you seeing though? People, are the people, you know, up, you know, up and I mean, up and are they celebrating? Are they, you know, I mean, yeah. I, I, Atlanta was the one of the last, I mean, the Metro, right, was one of the, 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 the area that got us off, off over the, uh, the last, over the hump, hit, right? over the yeah. head, yeah. And I definitely yeah. felt strong for, War, for Warnock anyway. Yeah, I, I think, you know, one of the difficulties in in the general election, especially down ballot, was how much the coronavirus had constrained our ability to campaign in person. And I think in the in the final weeks of the general election, um, you know, Reverend Warnock, now Senator elect, and, and now uh, President elect uh, Biden started doing events that were open air, outdoors but in person, um, you know, requiring masks, uh, observing safety protocols and starting to come back to campaigning in person. And I've, you know, long campaigned for the necessity because of the way our coalition is constructed uh, for us to be able to campaign in person. And as the Senate runoffs for these nine weeks have also seen a number of in-person events, I would say Georgia, much more than many other states is sort of open for business. Um, you know, again, I think we are thoughtful about observing protocols, wearing masks, you know, washing our hands. Now the vaccination is, is a possibility, you know, taking tests the whole nine yards. Uh, but folks are moving around. I remember when Joe Biden uh, was declared the winner, which is almost like seven or eight days after November the 3rd. We live on a pretty busy thoroughfare and our office is also uh, on Peachtree Street, which is obviously an iconic 
street in downtown or across the city of Atlanta. And in both cases, I went to the office and I worked from home for a little bit. Um, people were just blowing horns. If you had signs up anywhere, you could just hear, you know, you'd hear a, a horn cavalcade for five or 10 minutes of folks just seeing signs that said Biden, uh, Harris, and, you know, just celebrating in their cars. So I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go so far as to say we've, you know, gotten beyond the protocols and celebrated in person, but people are expressing their adulation. There Social media, <laughs> like, uh, you know, people are posting their memes and trust me, the internet is still undefeated. So we'll see plenty of oh, them man. in the next couple days. I just want to know what Jeezy's doing. <laughs> well, who's doing? Jeezy. I want to know what Jeezy's up to, man. <laughs> <laughs> he definitely did yeah, some events. I, I mean, this morning, man, I saw it when uh, Warnock, back when he, when, he, when, he, uh, when he declared victory. I mean, I was, I was playing uh, my president. You know, you know, yeah. is, is, is the sentiment still there? You know, they'll, they'll be in the after show. That's up. a good question. I said, well, you know, we had a, a collection of um, election eve concerts with people like Jeezy and Jack Harlow. Rick Ross was here last weekend. I mean, it, you know, folks have tried to figure out ways to get in front of people who otherwise might be uh, disconnected from the political process. So we have had a ton of in-person stuff. Uh, thankfully, we've not heard a lot about spikes in the COVID rates. Um, but yeah, we're definitely trying to figure out both how to safely celebrate, but obviously first and foremost, how to stay in front of voters. So. Yeah, man, I'll tell you what, if COVID wasn't going on right now, I'd be on a Southwest flight to Atlanta, uh, probably landing right now. Because <laughs> I know, because <laughs> <laughs> I know it's about to be, just call a, call a five day weekend and let's go ahead and get that party going, man. So yeah. uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll put a pin on pin in that. Well, Howard, thank you for your time. Howard Franklin is our esteemed colleague, lobbyist, and political consultant based out of Atlanta, Georgia, covering the Southeast. Always a pleasure, Howard. Also check out episode 117. I appreciate it, man. Anytime.